0: We are 14 episodes in and thought we'd recap the past three months of the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with Hal Swayze. Hundreds of new subscribers are finding out about the podcast each week and we thought we'd catch them up to speed in one podcast. But before we do that, let's get the market update for August to settle down the fears home buyers and homeowners may have when it comes to the current state of the economy. This is taken from Hal's latest market update video. Be sure to subscribe to Hal's page on YouTube to get a notification when the latest video comes out. A-J-L-S-W-E-A-S-E-Y. Well, hello and welcome to our August
1: 2022 market update for San Luis Obispo County. Number one, of course, will be our market statistics. Secondly, we're gonna touch a little bit on what's happening to interest rates and third, I kinda of wanna talk about something because it's talked about a lot these days. You know, Let's take a look at what's happening with people's fear versus the actual facts. As we look at the market statistics, in terms of inventory, a similar trend that we've seen for a while here, our inventory is up year over year, a little over 30%. So last year, again, let's remember record low inventory. Month over month, we're up about 7% from a month ago. In terms of pending and sold properties, we're down about 30 to 35% on those although our pendings were higher this month by about 10% a little less than 10% versus last month. So more homes going into escrow this past month than the previous month. So we're going to start looking a little bit more month over month because last year is just a you know, an anomaly in terms of what we compare things to. Our days on the market are going from, you know, what was averaging about a week to maybe three to four weeks more commonly now. So we're, again, trending towards a more normal market. Lastly, our pending sales. We still are having more homes going to escrow, about 205, 210, to about 167 coming on the market. So our demand, still outstripping supply. So that is something that leads to us to believe that you know, it's a fairly stable market. As we look at interest rates, they have dropped. I saw rates recently have dropped, for many programs, under 5%. It's been a while since we've seen that and we've touched as high as six. So that's a pretty significant drop. And you know, having rates in 4%, again, that is like r- incredibly, incredibly attractive. So that little drop was kind of a surprise. Who knows what will happen next with rates. Okay, let's talk about fear versus facts will this be like a 2008? Is there going to be a crash or correction? It's hard to say, but let's look at some real facts. In 2008 to today, we have 12 million more households that have been formed. Those are all potential home buyers. So we have more buyers available in the marketplace. Secondly, we had about a quarter of the inventory now that we had back then. So our inventory is much lower. So we look at supply and demand, that's gonna bode well for prices holding up. Now, will they drop? Could they drop? Absolutely, we do it all the time. You know, I've seen prices drop within one calendar year where it's spring, it was a little bit higher, fall, it dropped, or it changes anytime any time. So they fluctuate. Does that, for people that are in real estate, okay, does that affect their lives? Not really. In fact, the last fact I wanna mention is about 25% of our homes nationwide are now purchased by investors or private equity, those types of things. Why are these? that are here to raise money for their clients, why are they investing in real estate? Because they see it as a good buy and hold investment. So real estate for the long term has always been great. In fact, over the last 44 years, if you look at price drops, only about 10% of the time did prices actually go down. So if you were gonna flip a coin heads or tails, 90% of the time you knew it was gonna be heads, you'd probably pick heads every time. So the safe money, the smart money seems to be staying in real estate highly unlikely supply demand that we're going to see any big change in prices could they drop sure but it's not going to be what some people think might happen if you have questions how this will affect you give us a call We're, we're here to be your resource
0: if you've been with the slow county real estate with hal swayze podcast since its launch you know the team highlights important aspects of real estate as it pertains to slow county and what some of the market challenges mean for people who might be moving to the sidelines. As was mentioned in the August market report, investors aren't shying away. In fact, they're going all in. In this episode, we go back and meet Hal and find out how he got into real estate, explore the possibilities of the bubble burst in the real estate market in Slow County, and go over tricks in getting the best price for your listing and making sure you have the best resources no matter what side of the transaction you're on. Here's the host of the Slow County Real Estate Podcast, James Bueno, Mr. Swayze. Let's give
2: everybody a chance to kind of know who you are, the real house Swayze, and why are we here? So let's uh, let's start from day one.
1: I started in real estate because I lost my job for with a real estate developer with no real estate experience, really, and got my real estate license. So my first six months in real estate didn't sell a house. You know, when you start, you're just trying to figure out how to help people and what to do to sell a house, and and I forget sometimes how much I've learned.
2: Why'd you stay in it?
1: You know, I was 29, had a college degree. I had a corporate sales job in the Bay Area. You know, I got the chance to come back to San Luis Obispo. I'm teaching tennis on the side. I'm going waiting tables and bussing tables in the morning at the end of Morro Bay to make bills. I was getting in debt. And I remember about August of 1993. So that's two years into it. And I go, well, I don't know if this real estate thing's cut out for me. So I take an aptitude test, it was a sales job where you do scanning for stuff at a hardware store and I didn't know much about technology. And they go, well, we gotta take a test. And I'm going, "Test? I love tests. I used to t- I call, yeah, give me the test, right? So I take the test and I wait a couple of weeks, a week or two and, and I don't hear anything. So I call the guy back that was kind of the, the one I was in touch with and I go, hey, you know, how's the job thing looking? And he goes, oh no, I don't, I don't think it's a good fit. And I go, really, why? He goes, well, we got your test results back. And I said, oh, well, what do you mean? He goes, yeah. Well, I mean, you're not a fit. I go, what does that mean? Did I fail it? He goes, well, we found out based on your personality, you're disorganized, you lack attention to detail, and you don't take criticism well. I was like, what?
2: <laughs> I take criticism well. Who are
1: you know, I called my old employer. I was like, yeah. so anyway, I was fortunate enough that I had found like a, a set of Tony Robbins tapes or something. So I'm listening to those, and I was right. just in, starting to get into self development. And um, he, I remember him saying, you can have a life by default or by design. And if I would have got the job, I would have made $2,500 a month, which would have been a good living for me at the time. Right. That's what I'd made before I was in real estate. And I went, okay, let's do this thing. The next year, things started to work out. So I kind of hung in there. I don't know what the analogy is, but the guy on the life raft who's like, how many more days of this do I have? But I, I kind of got through at that point and I was able to pay some bills and make some headway. So mm-hmm. it just takes time for it to start to show. Right. Can I start a restaurant today and be successful in six months? Well, gosh, no. And, and you're starting your own business. And there's a huge failure rate in any business, as Jay knows, in real of estate course. as well. Yeah. I was just fortunate that I was persistent and stayed in there. I think now 31 years in the business, you know, it probably helped over 25, 2600 families wow. buying or selling homes, hmm. and a lot of wild experiences in the meantime.
2: Question: uh, Talk to us about your athletic career.
1: I grew up in Sun Valley, Idaho and and none of my family had gone to college and I played in a tournament in the summer and I played a guy against, that was going to Boise State that was highly recruited and we had a close match and the coach... What, what sport? Oh, tennis. I'm sorry, tennis. Yeah, tennis. tennis. And the coach comes over and goes hey, you, you know where you're going to college? And I go, no. He goes, well, I got a $300 scholarship if you want to come to Boise State. And I was, 300 bucks? I am there. So I played about a year in Boise State and I, I didn't have as much background in the sport as some other players, so about a year and a half into it I wasn't really starting, got a little discouraged. My girlfriend moved away, so I decided to move to California. I actually followed her and then worked for a year and became a resident of California so I could afford to go to school. And of got back into it. Because I played tennis, I was able to afford college on my own because I got a good job teaching tennis in the summer. So I was landscaping in the summer, and that was tough work, which was fine. But then I played in a tennis tournament with this guy, and he says, why don't you come work for me at the tennis club? And I said, that sounds good. Right. so I went back I played at a junior college we did pretty well came to Cal Poly uh, we didn't have scholarships and then you know I was here for 2 years to play my career and, and finished at Cal Poly and we won the NCAA national championships in
2: 86 do you think that relates with your success in real estate
1: yeah boy I I'll tell you you know real estate is a sales job there's a lot of rejection um you know, you have to be able to get over the tough times and and you talk to and deal with a lot of people before, as Jay, you know, a transaction can happen. So I, I find athletes in general are used to that. Swimmers, you know, they gotta get up at five in the morning and swim. And not just any athlete because, you know, I was never that talented, but I worked hard. So, you know, I see guys going out for the team and I go, that guy works hard, doesn't matter who kicks him in the teeth, he's coming
2: back the next day. Sports does help, you know, somebody with work experience. It's a tough business. A little bit about your team uh, and uh, JT if you want to weigh in on this. I know that uh, Team Swayze
3: has this thing called core values. Well I think it's just making sure that that we build a team of like-minded people. Our first core values were team players and so if someone exhibits behaviors of not being a team player they're probably not gonna be part of Team Swayze. We have a group of 11 people now and the beauty of our team and the 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 reason i show up every day is because i love the people and we're all like-minded and we all subscribe to the three core values which are first we're team players second we put our clients interests above our own and third we work really hard to get great results for our clients
1: you know when you help somebody buy or sell a house and jay you can speak to this i mean it's stressful it's a huge purchase it's a huge financial obligation for a lot of people or when you're selling you know people coming and look at my house what's the price going to be
4: all that sort of thing so it's super stressful you know a swimmer's got a lane he's in his lane and he's competing against himself he's got his own goals his own objectives and yet at the same time the entire team is um, going for a points goal and uh, that's how they get medals. And that's really what I've witnessed in the team that you've got. Everybody has yeah. got their own goals. You guys have done a great job of of, um, of helping them establish what they want for themselves, helping them find their why, and then push towards that. And together, the whole team rises because of it. And that's something that, you know, from the outside, because I've known you for over 20 years when right. we were in a mastermind group together and seen you develop from like a, a powerhouse agent as an individual to building a, a very, very strong and powerful team that is by, n- with no Question: the most dominating factor in real estate in
3: San Luis Obispo County. So what
2: do you tell the, the people that are waiting for this bubble to burst? JT, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, let-
3: I just don't see the quote-unquote bubble, which means a, a significant reduction in prices going forward, as we talked about in, in prior episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, there just isn't the inventory. It's, it's a su- supply and demand issue. If, if we have uh, very little supply and our demand is fairly constant, prices can't come down in that scenario. Right. And, and there have been so few houses built over the last 10 years compared to averages mm. in our history. And population has grown during that same time that it's, we're, we're years away from inventory being at what we might call normal and and so what would have to happen for prices to go down is we'd have to have a whole lot of houses on the market and no buyers. I just don't see that happening. In fact, I heard some industry experts say that they think we're, we've got five more years of appreciation, and they hedged that and said, I really want to say 10, but I'm kind of afraid to say 10.
1: I mean, from 2010 to 2020, nationwide, you know, the builders got beat up in you know, 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. So a lot of the big builders are no longer around. We built a fraction of the homes we would normally build, yet the, the population increased. That is a big thing, and that doesn't
4: change overnight. We looked at some tracked numbers uh, in the two th- from 2000 to 2010 in the United States, over 12 million homes built. And then from 2010 to 2020, just a smidge over 5 million homes were built. And so, I mean, that, yeah. those numbers right there are black and white because as the population grows, we, we just stop building homes. And you know what's interesting, I think, about this area specifically? San Luis County has one of the highest underemployment rates in the nation. What does that mean? That means that you've got, you've got people that are working in restaurants and baristas. And NBA is bartending. That's exactly right. Because once they're here, they never want to leave. So the population continues to grow here locally, sure. but the housing doesn't keep up. Um, this is just such a beautiful place, and that's going to be drawing the demand, and we don't have the supply, as you mentioned, John. Can,
3: right. can I raise another issue regarding is, is it a good time to buy? Yeah. You know, we, we talk about real estate so often as you know an investment. Are values going up? Are they going down? And we watch that. But what's the difference between investing in real estate and investing in Amazon stock? You brought up Amazon, Hal. Mm-hmm. How many of us live in our Amazon stock? <laughs> How many of us raise our kids in our mutual fund portfolio? So I've heard Hal talk many times about you know, owning real estate, especially your primary residence. It's just so different than investing.
1: No, it's true. I mean, it is your home. With a short stock of housing, your options for housing normally are I can own or I can rent a place Mm -hmm. and the rental market's very tight as well. So you might be paying a pretty high price to rent In a place that's not that good, maybe you wouldn't buy it. You know, I mean, there's some occasions where hey, it makes sense for sure. But in general, you you know, it's it's a stable source of a place to live, Mm -hmm. and financially, it becomes for most people, like my parents, for example, their biggest financial asset. If they would not have bought a house, it would have changed the landscape of their
3: financial life. Right, you you know. I'm I'm laughing, Hal. In two thousand and fifteen you sold my house out from under me. It wasn't even on the market. <laughs> and and so my wife are welcome. Your wife welcome. and I moved into a rental and and she hated it. It was a beautiful house on the beach. Yeah. She hated it. Why? And why did she
2: hate it? Yeah, it was wasn't it just, her house. Because you couldn't poke a hole in the wall?
3: She had to have her nesting place, if you will. For sure. Absolutely. And yeah. And yeah. so there's more to owning your own home than the investment side. Everybody's worried about the
1: next recession. It makes headlines in the news, what's gonna happen. Trust me, it crosses my mind as well. And the unique thing about being here in real estate is, you know, unless you're in a situation where you have to sell your house. Okay, when do you have to sell your house? You got a loan, maybe you lose your job, you can't afford it, right? So what are your options? You know, here, the reason our prices maybe didn't drop as much during the recession is because we have a really strong rental market. So nobody's going to give you a loan today on a place you can't afford, but circumstances can change, right? And then even if you have to move for a job, you know, I lost my job in San Luis Obispo. I did get another one in Oklahoma. I'm taking the job because I need the job. A lot of people just rented their homes out. They waited out the storm. The thing covered itself. And now, you know, they're fine. So if I think I've bought and sold real estate for myself, and, and if I always look back, if there's something I tell my kids it's like, yeah, the people who are smart just just never sold anything. I mean, not that you shouldn't, but I'm just saying over time it makes a difference. So y- you are pretty well protected with a thing like a house, even if the worst calamity happens. For almost everybody, you can be okay, especially here I can speak to the Central Coast.
2: How important is it to get the right number when you're listing your house? Too low, too high, you know, how important is it to get that perfect number for when you put it on the MLS at first? We usually know, and and it's just a matter of how long the market responds. In a
1: normal market, I tell people, hey, you could have six years to sell your house, but in the first 30 to 60 days when you get your best price. Two months ago, hey, you could have six years to sell your house, but you're gonna get your best price in the first seven days. Now it might be three weeks. It's positioning to get the most response, and as John said, most people looking at it, the more people look at it and you show it to the better chance you have of the most
4: offers and the highest price. I call it positioning it in the marketplace. An appraisal is a historic view of a prior sale, like that doesn 't tell our future. having someone like hal a, a student of the market. Uh, being able to do a couple things that Hal, you said I think was really impressive. I I haven't actually heard any other agent do is call on sales that are pending. Now, what does that mean for the the consumer? When a property goes on the market and it's for sale, uh, it goes into our multiple listing service and we can all see what's on the market. Uh, Once an offer is accepted and it goes into escrow, the status changes to pending. So we don't know because we can't see the sale. It hasn't been recorded. It's not public public information. So Hal, what you're telling me is that you call the agent that had it listed so that you get some idea of what the current now is, as opposed to the historical information, which is the appraisal. That's going the extra mile, and that makes a big difference when you're trying to price a property, absolutely. But appraisal is nothing more than a historic look at what has transpired, and then you've got this magic of trying to adjust for what where is the market going, what has it done. And nobody has a crystal ball, but taking that extra step, helps makes a huge difference, I would imagine, in getting a property properly priced. Um, unlike that, as opposed to something like Zillow, which is just an aggregator, right? They're pulling they're scraping the, the internet for data to try and get information and the stuff you see there might be six months old it might not either house might not even be in the market uh, so it's a real poor view of what's truly happening in the market but um, to, to the, the aspect and the, the tactic that you take Hal, I think it's really really uh, impressive and important to know that you're taking the historical data but you're also talking about real live activity things that are happening right now to yeah. help you evaluate homes for your clients It's impressive. You know, I would say if you're to the consumer, rely on the professional. Leave the pricing of homes to the experts. Lean heavily into somebody that you're hiring to do that job for you because they're going to be the ones with the tools and that are in the know. They live, eat, and breathe it. They're looking at it every single day. You wouldn't go to your mechanic and ask him to perform oral surgery on you. Would you? it's not what they do they stay away from using the aggregators to try and evaluate your home we know we've got prices that vary all over the county we've got so many little microclimates down to communities that are so specifically different you cannot get a proper valuation from an aggregator like Zillow or Realtor.com or Ojo those companies just don't provide the minute details that your real estate professional can give you
3: so Jay uh, if I have this correctly or I'm close Last year in the county, there were a little over three thousand transactions. A buyer side, a seller side to each transaction. You got six thousand real sides, real estate sides, right? There are over two thousand agents in the county, so the average agent does less than three. Uh,
4: Yeah, there's the old Pareto principle, right? Eighty percent of the business is done by twenty percent of the agents. There's only, in my opinion, about eight hundred and fifty of them that make enough to live on. You know, everybody's got their own lifestyle, um, but there aren't a whole lot. Out of the 2,000 agents, less than half of them are, are making enough money to, to, to even come close to the median household income.
3: So I have a choice. I can sell the house myself. You can. I can sell my house with an agent that might do one or two transactions a year and may know just a little bit better than me. Or I can hire a professional that does it hundreds of times in a year and knows what's going on in the marketplace, right?
4: Experience is probably the one key element because no two transactions are the same. And you learn something new through the experience of each one. One of my observations um, from a 10,000-foot view of looking at Hal's operation and everybody on the team is he's closed the gap. To get licensed in real estate, you take three courses online and pass a state exam. The business acumen is what what I coach to and train to at Keller Williams, but Hal has has the uh, business acumen that takes um, himself to a position where he's driving a bus that is closing thousands of transactions over your career. He's got the right people on the bus, but what's more important, not only the right people on the bus, but they are in the right seat. Everybody's got a preferred behavioral trait, things that we do in such a way that we enjoy it. And if that's what you do, you don't feel like you're working at all. And every person that I've met on Hal's team is in exactly the right spot on the bus because they love what they do. And it shows because of the client care, the repeat business. Um, I'd venture to say um, you know, 90% of your business, Hal, comes from past clients in your sphere of influence because they've had such an incredible experience with you and your team. What's the process of just an, a, a regular agent that's not a part of a team? Well, what do they go through? They're, they're trying to do it all. They've got to do it all from start to finish. I, I liken it to, like, you know, um, Luigi. You're the best bread maker in town. He's got the best bread on earth, right? If Luigi was responsible for um, tilling the soil, planting the wheat, and taking care of the wheat as it grows, um, pulling out the weeds, making sure that it isn't getting overrun, poisoning gophers, harvesting the wheat. Taking it to the mill, turning it into flour, transporting the flour to the to the bakery, and then and then baking bread. Would Luigi have any time to bake bread? I- Yet, the life of a realtor, that's what they're doing, their database is the field, and they're taking care of them, they're giving them the information that they need, Um, they're making sure that they're not getting false information by the media, or anybody might give them false data. Then when they say, listen, I'm raising my hand to buy, sell, or invest, that's the, they're they're now being walked to the mill uh, so they can go through that process with a whole team of professionals. And by having all the people in the right place, there's there's somebody tilling the field, there's somebody um, working the mill, there's somebody doing the transport, there's somebody baking bread on this team. And so you've always got that quality product each and every time.
2: Simple question, does it cost more? Does it cost more to go with the team? No. The commissions are, I mean, they're all negotiable, but it's the same. Basically get, you
1: know, a handful, six, seven, eight people working for you for the price of one. There's discrepancies, of course. Every transaction is different, but yeah, it's about the same. But I get worried because you, you said if I'm driving the bus, if I'm driving the bus, we're in we're in actual yeah danger. You're leading, yeah, the bus yeah, yeah. That's sure. why we have yeah. a team. So I'm
3: not driving. Yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But I, but I think the the, the the question that we started with is, you know, you got three ways to sell your house. Which one is best? If I look at the data that we have for the last year plus, if I have this right, the the, the the sellers in the market have been pretty fortunate in that most sellers are selling their house for a little bit above asking price is that right and and if yep, i think I, so that i should. think if i remember yeah. correctly the average was about 103% of asking price yet if you listed your house with this team you were getting 107 or 108% of asking price so let me ask you the question do you want 103% or 107% so the conversation you and I were having earlier, you said it was cheaper to go with a team. Is this what you're talking about? Well, no, it's not cheaper. It means it just means you net more money.
1: Nice commercial, thank you for that. Nice yes. <laughs> yeah, well done. That's the bill job. is on your
4: desk. <laughs> I'm happy to be on the bus. Yeah, yeah I know, right yeah. right. yeah. Who's driving? Yeah, not me.
2: Thank you for listening to the House Ways-y Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. It comes out every Monday, so check for it in your feed for the latest information on the San Luis Obispo County market. The Slow County Real Estate with House Swayze podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and on housewazy.com where you can find current listings and other real estate tips. Housewazy.com that's H-A-L-S-W-E-A-S-E-Y.com. I am James Bueno, Director of Marketing for the House Swayze Group. If you're looking for anything real estate, give us a call 805-781-3750.